332A, Vivelle Avenue, where Caleb and I, newly married, just moved into our first place, decided to invite our landlords for dinner. We didn't yet know that that was kind of a strange thing to do, and so we did it. <laughs> and at that dinner, this couple that we barely knew by the name of Ryan and Deirdre Arnett said that they were in to start this church work with us. It was years before we realized just how God had brought us together and how important it would become for Kaleo that the calling to locality that Ryan and Deirdre embodied combined with Caleb and I's calling to start a faith community. The table, a centerpiece of this conversation on mutuality, has been the place where Kaleo was formed. From honest conversations of the first days to the way we have embodied this doctrine of holiness, trying by God's grace to erase the sacred and secular dividing line, if the, if the tables of Kaleo could talk, they would speak about shared ideas, tears poured out in vulnerability, nourishment and health, sugar and coffee, and heresies shared with authenticity in the pursuit of orthodoxy. If Kaleo's tables could talk, they would tell about the first time that we bought organic chicken for a holiday service because we were learning about holy agriculture. They would tell about a game night at the Coleman Community Center with the most strange combination of neighbors you can imagine. If Kaleo's tables could talk, they would share stories of meetings, always primed with a meal, questioning and wondering if and how we should proceed. If Kaleo's tables could talk, they would be a cacophony of conversation all over South Nashville. The tables in this room are only representatives of tables in homes, in community centers, in coffee shops, in conference rooms, in the old Shoney's, in the bird haven that is Baja's outdoor dining that hosted a band of bees that called the Kaleo. The table was where we first learned our real overt lesson in mutuality. See, we had this idea. Let's host a community picnic in our newly created community garden space. We'll grill out, because there's no other way to cook, and we'll provide everything that's needed. We'll go to Costco, and people can just show up. It'll be so easy. It'll be a great way to meet our neighbors. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to do old school. We're going to go door to door, and we're going to invite people to this picnic that we're going to have. We're going to live into these values of presence and hospitality. And we're going to show up. And so we started out two by two, like the disciples being sent out by Jesus with nothing in our pockets and gospel tracts in the form of event flyers in our hands. And we knock. 
there's fear and trembling. For even offering an invitation is intimidating for a friend who is not yet an acquaintance. They open the door. A woman is there. We awkwardly share our invitation, but with great enthusiasm. And she reciprocates with enthusiasm. And she says, I'll come. And then she speaks a question that can only be defined in retrospect as a prophetic question. She says, what can I bring? Oh, nothing, nothing. We got it all covered. Don't worry about a thing. This is going to be so easy. All you have to do is show up. Oh, she says with disappointment in her voice. Okay. Why the disappointment? When we have it all together, that makes us feel good and competent about extending an invitation. And if the invitation was just to a picnic, maybe that would be good news. But the woman wanted more. You could tell. She didn't just want an invitation to a picnic, but an invitation to be a part of creating it. She didn't just want to be a guest. She wanted to share in the role of host. She wanted mutuality. A bit phased, yet happy with our apparent initial success, we went on to the next door. Knock, knock, knock. A couple answered this time. Come to a community picnic, we say. Oh, cool. The couple that answer, answers the door responds. What can we bring? We pause in that moment, make a decision. What would you like to bring, we ask. The community picnic was a success. We met neighbors, we talked with them, we shared with them, but after that first picnic, we decided not to do picnics anymore. Of course, this thing should continue, but it needs to be called a community potluck, not a community picnic. I could share more stories of mutuality, of Miss Bates and the Pierces and Bruce and John and Calvin and Evelyn, relationships built on sharing the moments of our lives with each other, using the excuse of common tables and bedsides, using the excuse that walls need painted and boxes need been moved. Serving and sharing all that we have in common is an echo of the incarnation of the Pentecost community. See what Jesus' disciples did after his death, resurrection, and ascension, they were gathered in one local place together, praying for the Holy Spirit. And here is what happened in Acts 2. As expected, the Spirit showed up. The community began to preach, sharing the good news with the multitude. And though the multitude had come from all over with their own native tongues, when the disciples spoke, those people heard the message in a mutual language. 
The mutuality continued after their baptism as they began to do what I believe must have been the incarnation of the sermon. They shared all things in common. Their relationship with the God, the incarnation of the Holy Spirit, initiated not only a change in their lives, not only forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God, but also a new way of relating to each other. Which brings me to number two. Mutuality is a result of the Holy Spirit. It is what happens when our relationships become holy ground. The revelation of God, of God's birth, death, resurrection, and incarnate spirit destroy the curtain between the common and the divine. The sacred and the secular become one because of God's work, God's gift, and our relationships become ground zero for God's good news. When we individually and communally receive the power and calling of the Holy Spirit, it becomes possible to share freely and sacrificially, devoting ourselves to prayer and teaching, gathering in places of worship, and eating in homes together. Number three, mutuality at its best allows us to give sacrificially with no strings attached and to receive freely without any shame. Next, number four, mutuality makes each of us, each of us, priests in our own context. First Peter chapter two, verses five and nine says, like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. If you know the history of the people of God, you know that not everyone was a priest. But this changes everything. In the New Testament, we see that all God's called become a royal priesthood. In many churches today, the pastor, paid a certain salary, is obligated by social expectation and job description to do the work of the ministry instead of the people. Who visits the sick? The pastor. Who cares for the widow? The pastor. Whose hands do the work of the ministry? The pastors. It's as if they believe that as a church, it's their job to pay one person to do the work the church is called to do. 
What is the role of a pastor is a valid question to discuss. For what we see in Ephesians chapter 4 that informs our ecclesiology, our belief, our theology about what the church is, as Kaleo, is not backed up by the common model that we see in the church. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling you, talking to the church in Ephesus, have received, have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love and making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped. As each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Some of us are called to be pastors, some prophets, some evangelists. We are called to this work. We are a priesthood of believers, each with different gifts, but each of our callings is to promote the growth of Christ's body. Mutuality makes us priests, makes each of us priests in our own context. So we don't have one pastor, but many ministers. As we promote the body's growth, in building itself up in love in order that we might proclaim the mighty acts of him who brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You visit the sick. You care for the widow. You do the work of ministry. This is why we like you to share in this work of our liturgy, in our holiday services, so that even during worship we reflect this ecclesiology that is inclusive of everyone doing the work of building up the body of Christ in love together. Which, by the way, the word liturgy means the work of the people. This is why we like you to host life groups in your own homes and invite you into this work of sharing your gifts of hospitality and presence with your neighbors. And the obvious roles aren't the only roles. We each have a role, a different part in the body, working together to build up the body of Christ in love. We all have a role to play. God has brought us together. This is God's thing, God's body. We are to be for each other pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, and apostles. But this core value of mutuality has an even deeper 
theological and philosophical underpinning. Something we must believe, something that comes from Acts 2 in order to make all of this possible. Number five, mutuality is based on the idea that when we come together, our needs fulfill the needs of the other, and there is enough. Mutuality must believe that there is enough and that we aren't competing for resources, but basking in God's provision through the sharing of the body. So what does this look like practically? Well, it looks like someone who needs a job and someone who needs a worker getting together to supply each other's need. It looks like a new parent receiving the seemingly sagely advice of an older parent who delights to share their struggles with the new parent. It looks like a financial surplus going to meet the need of someone struggling financially in the community. In our community, it has looked like music lessons, clothing swaps, tool sharing, last minute childcare, and relationships where anxieties and burdens can be shared and prayed for. This deep belief in enough leads to something new, an emergent property where people don't need to look outside of their everyday lives to receive the things that they need. Where all is shared in common, there is enough to go around. Number six, mutuality means investing in and doing the hard work of multi-layered relationships. Relationships that cross transactional lines. Who is buddy-buddy with the lady at the post office? I am. Who spends long hours talking to their banker? Ryan does. Who of you is friends with your landlord? Caleb is. Well, oh, you are too? Great. Who has been hired by your neighbor? Zach has. Who has reached out to your community for a job or housing or childcare or, mo or emotional support or done a project together or lived together? So many of you have taken a relationship that could have been shallow and taken it deeper, given it a new role or two. But these crossover relationships are not all butterflies and sunshine like we expect them to be when we read Acts 2, and it says, and they shared everything in common, and there was enough to go around. Mutuality, number seven, can be painful, slow, and draining, and annoying, and expensive. Because... It chooses the person in your sphere before it hits the metaphorical phone book to find a transactional relationship to fulfill your needs. That's the kicker, isn't it? Mutuality transforms 
our transactional relationships into partnerships. And that means having hard conversations when they're needed. It ain't no joke living together. That's hard work. Marriage, hard work. Having kids, hard work. Employed by your pastor or someone in your church, hard work. And do you know why it's so hard? Because we can't be, what? Well, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> because we can't be shallow. We can't just leave the relationship if it gets hard or if we don't have a five-star review for someone. If it isn't working, we don't write a scathing Yelp review. It has to be discussed. And those conversations in our relationship can lead, can lead to growth on all sides. It can deepen and solidify the relationship. But in order for that to happen, we have to do the hard work of being present to ourselves and to those we care about. Which means telling hard truths in loving ways, receiving apologies and offering them, changing, learning more, moving forward together because this is bigger than us. You might start to see how important the power of the Holy Spirit and the grounding of hospitality and presence become in these times. Often, you run up against your former wounds or theirs, and it makes this thing about that. We have an opportunity, though, in these times to bear each other's burdens, to experience the suffering of another, as it starts to course through our veins as well. Galatians chapter 6 has encouragement in these times. My friends, if anyone has detected a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Number eight. Sometimes mutuality means sharing painful loads to make them light. Sometimes mutuality means sharing painful loads to make them light. But it is not mutuality if you don't share your joy and celebrations as well. I remember one day, we were in this uh, pastor's meetup in our local area, and my old pastor, who was from a different area, drove in to come to this meetup. And it was, we had this weird relationship, me and him, because um, when I was a teenager, he had hired my dad as a staff member at his church, and then a couple years later, 
um, laid him off uh, due to financial, budgetary things. Um, but it's still like up in my life, so it's complicated. And then, um, and then later, when I was, after I graduated from Trevecca, I was working with his brother, who was actually in this recovery program that I was temporarily running when I was a case manager for the residency programs at Room in the Inn. His brother was pursuing recovery, and I had, <laughs> I had gone to district assembly and talked to this pastor, who used to be my pastor, who used to employ my dad, um, about opening back up his relationship with his brother because his brother was doing so well and had been in recovery for quite a while. Um, that conversation went weirdly. Um, and so <laughs> this day uh, of this meetup, it was kind of like amazing in some ways because it was kind of like the first time that he asked me and was talking to us, um, you know, who were there from Kaleo at the time, for advice. Uh, it was like we were finally on the same playing field and our, the discrepancies in our ages and our past gave way to a more authentic mutuality. See, he was promoting and engaging uh, his church community to lead uh, service in the neighborhood around his church. And he knew that what Kaleo was and that we were, that was kind of like our whole thing that we were doing. And he wanted to know, he asked us, when they would know that they had real relationships with the neighbors they were impacting. And in a moment of enlightenment or spirit, a spirit-led epiphany, I remember replying, you'll know when you have real relationships, when your neighbors don't just reach out because they're struggling or they're grieving or they need a place for a funeral, but when they reach out and invite you to their celebrations. Because it's our friends we invite to our celebrations. Finally, in closing, I want to go to, back to Acts 2 and note two more things about mutuality as seen in the sharing of resources. First, number nine, mutuality bears the burdens of others by recognizing resource discrepancies and sharing with those currently in need. Acting as if there is no resource discrepancy it's just like a lack of authenticity or empathy. There are real resource discrepancies in our communities and in our church. Some are financial and some are not. We must be aware of the places that we are wealthy in resources and allow them, and not allow them to lead to complacency or assumptions about others' equal opportunities or accessibility. Rather, they must lead us to sharing our gifts in community in order to build up the body of Christ. Finally, number 10. Mutuality, mutuality does not share everything in order to be self-deprecating. D-E-P-R-I-C-A-R-T-I-N-G. Rather, 
Mutuality recognizes everything in our power comes from God and belongs equally to God's children. I think that must be how the Acts 2 community viewed their community and their resources. Okay, I'm going to pray, and we are so out of time, but um, this is what I'm going to invite you to do. After after communion, after we dismiss, um, I want to invite you to spend some time with the end questions, either together uh, in a small group, you can have a table or something, or by yourself. And again, I'd really like to receive these back if you're willing to give them or let me take a picture of them. They've been very helpful in the past weeks. And then um, secondly, had multiple comments about this in those sections, and so I just want to bring it up as an opportunity, is if you're one of the people who said, we've got to figure out how to eat together again, maybe you guys could start a, a discussion about what that would look like, because I've seen that on multiple papers. So, um, yes, those are the two invitations as I pray, and I'm sure the children will be here in a minute. We might have a little time. So you can start on those response questions. Okay, let's pray together. God, God of relationship, of trinity, of mutual giving and receiving, we pray that your spirit would come, equip us to proclaim your good news, to bring us and our community out of darkness and into your marvelous light. May you redefine our relationships. May you place them on holy ground. And may you give us the courage and humility to receive and to give where there is need. In Christ's name, Okay.